I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick and James Hunt. We'll be discussing the latest comic book movie and TV news before launching into our spoiler-filled discussion of Louis Leterrier's 2008 film, The Incredible Hulk. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and James to explain a comic book concept as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And this week, guys, um, I have read the first issue of Thor's, um, the Secret Wars comic, and I quite enjoyed it, but there is a character in there who I've heard of but know literally nothing about, and that is Beta Ray Bill. Can you tell me about <laughs> Beta Ray Bill? But does he come from the Thor comics? Yeah, no, no, he is, he is, he is a Thor. He's a Thor replacement, Oh, he is a Thor? He? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's an alien who has his own version of me on there, except uh, it's called Stormbreaker. I I forget why he was made a Thor, but basically they were impressed with his warrior skills and gave him his own hammer. Okay, so he comes from, like, what, like a a parallel universe? Uh, No, he's a Chimelian, I think, which basically means he's a horse-faced alien. And, you know, Thor was just flying out in space one day and met up with him and was suitably impressed. There's a really nice description of um, of from Walt Simonson, who created Beta Ray Bill, of well a couple of reasons for him being the way one the reason why he looks the way he does and one the reason why he has the name that he does. Um, <laughs> so he says, um, you know, he, he sort of wants to create a new character to sort of be a new sort of temporary lead in the Thor comic. He said, uh, my thinking was that comics are a short form, and one of the things that's mostly true about comics characters are what they look like. I designed Bill deliberately as a monster because I knew that people would look at it and go, oh my god, it's this evil guy. So he kind of didn't want it to be, you know, he didn't want people mm. to know if he was a goodie or a baddie to begin with. He also said, originally I was going to call him, I was going to call him Beta Ray Jones because I wanted a really common name. My feeling was Bill was every man for this alien race. I deleted Jones because there were too many Joneses floating around the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I just have a quick moment of errata? Beta Ray Bill is not a Chimelian, he's a Corbinite, which the Chimelians are different horse-faced aliens. So what you're saying is that Bill did not vote for Andy Burnham in the Labour leadership <laughs> election. <laughs> oh dear, that is a niche joke. <laughs> I think that's um, our first ever topical news reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, so does does Bill tend to is he a is he a Thor character or has he ended up in other series along the way? He seems like someone that would fit in with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Is that or is that a stretch? 
like he's one of those cosmic characters who turns up a lot. I would say he's primarily associated with Thor, but right. you know he does turn up by himself. Kieran Gillen wrote a bunch of really good Peter A. Bill one shots. Yeah, he did a mini series, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. I was just trying to think if he ever showed up in the movies, which I'm sure he won't. Where where that might be? I mean, it it would have to be in a Thor Thor movie first, but he would be a natural fit for the Guardians as well. Personality wise, he fits quite well with the Guardians because he's just he's just a he's he's a decent bloke. He's just you know as as you know he's he's just a fairly ordinary guy, despite the fact that he's a you know weird looking alien yeah. creature. Yeah. Well, I enjoy, I enjoyed him very much in Thor's, which is. Um, um, I, I was surprised by how much I liked it. It's like a pastiche of detective mm. cop dramas, and Odin turns up as like the angry captain. Yeah, the thing about Thor's is everybody absolutely loved the first issue, and then the second issue came out, and everyone was like, yeah, it's alright, not as good as the first issue. Yeah. Well, I'm probably going to buy the second one, and I'll probably think that as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, let's move on now to take a look at some of the comic book movie news um, that has broken this past week. And we'll start off with um, a couple of casting rumours. The first one concerns the solo Wonder Woman movie that um, is going to be coming up it was going to be directed by Michelle McLaren now going to be directed by Patty Jenkins uh, we know Gal Gadot is going to be starring as Wonder Woman but we don't know much of the other cast other than, other than um, Chris Pine is on board to play Steve Trevor um, that, that is a terrible character name <laughs> if you're going to have two first names don't make Trevor one of them the fact, the fact that Steve Trevor has a terrible name is entirely in keeping with the fact that he's a terrible character. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you about two more Wonder Woman characters, because apparently Eva Green and Sean Bean are being rumoured for the movie. Um, Sean Bean would potentially be playing Ares, uh, the god of war, and Eva Green will be playing, and uh, excuse me if I get this um, pronunciation completely wrong, she'd be playing Kirky. Now, guys... First of all, do you agree with me that if you can put Eva Green and Sean Bean in your movie, then do it? Um, and second of all, who are these characters? Are they any good? Would they be interesting roles for those two actors to play? I, I think I would agree with that point. I'm amused by the idea of Sean Bean getting to play an immortal god in a movie because it means that he might actually get to the end of a movie without being killed off, which would be <laughs> isn't he? Isn't he Zeus in him. something? Isn't Sean Bean Zeus in something? I don't know. They probably found a way to kill him anyway. They probably found a way to kill Ares. Yeah. So Ed, so Ares is well. He's basically he's he's a, he's a big Wonder Woman villain. I mean, he's maybe the main Wonder Woman villain. Okay. Um, he interestingly, I didn't know this, but um, he was first introduced as Ares, and then from his second appearance onwards, he was Mars instead because that's the Roman god of war. Right. And it wasn't until um, George <laughs> Perez did his sort of seminal run. I say seminal run, I mean, I'm assuming it's good, but it's a Wonder Woman comic, so I've never read it. But by all accounts, it's the definitive <laughs> Wonder Woman run by George Perez in the late 80s. Um, and everything was kind of restored back to being very Greek mythology influenced, so he became Ares again. And I, I think the sort of the version of Ares in terms of the look that everyone would be familiar with is is the George Perez version. And yeah, he's just, you know, he's a he's the god of war and he's, he's a villain and for some reason he, he hates Wonder Woman, so... Okay. Sean Bean would be interesting casting for it. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to get a handle on what he'd be like. I imagine he should be a quite imposing character. Northern. I think he'd be very northern. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Ares is kind of a... Like, as a cultural figure, 
you don't have to use the comics version because he's a you know he's well established as a guy who is good at war and that's that's the only trait you need so sean Bean playing god's update he was in fact zeus in percy jackson and the lightning thief so uh check out that percy jackson knowledge that i just <laughs> that's it. he's working his way through the pantheon <laughs> oh, amazing um... hey, i'm not looking forward to his athena <laughs> um, what, what about Eva Green then? Who is Kirky? Uh, well, I know even less about her than I know about Ares because, as has been established, uh, even even as the resident DC buff, um, I have not read very many Wonder Woman comics. Sexist. It's um, very sexist. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Well, I think I more than make up for it with the number of Supergirl comics I own. So, <laughs> yeah, she's. I mean, you know, purely from the look of the character point of view, I can see why they would cast Ava Green as her. She, she's a villainous sorceress. From the look of it, she fulfills about every basic stereotype of a villainous immortal sorceress in a comic book. So, God, that sounds just yeah, that sounds perfect for Ava Green. <laughs> like, she's she does great villain. She normally does great sorcery. It does seem a bit odd to have Eva Green in a Wonder Woman movie, like, not playing Wonder Woman. Yeah, that is insane, isn't it? Can you, yeah, can you, the, can you imagine Gal Gadot and Eva Green walking into a room and saying, which of these two actresses do you think is playing Wonder Woman in an upcoming movie? <laughs> this is like how I'm still bitter that Parker Posey was in a Superman movie not playing <laughs> Lois Lane. Yeah. <laughs> still uh, bitter, nearly ten years on. Over in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Rebecca Ferguson is being heavily rumoured um, to be Marvel's favourite to play Carol Danvers, um, Captain Marvel. This is a role that has been linked to many actresses um, ever since Captain Marvel was announced. Uh, but Rebecca Ferguson, who's coming off basically a star-making role in Mission Impossible 5, which none of us have seen, so I can't comment on, but she, she might be in line to play Carol Danvers. Um, and guys, because we don't know the actress very well, although I'm, I'm sure we all soon will... Um, could you tell me what you kind of think are the defining characteristics or attributes that an actress playing Carol Danvers would need? Like, what what defines Carol Danvers? What do you need to be able to be to play her? It's kind of tough to say. Like, Carol Danvers has had such a, a long history in comics, but until quite recently, there's no, there's not been anything you would call a definitive take on her. The primary quality of the character is probably that she's a sort of army brat. Like, she grew up in the army and, you know, did it as a career. And I think that's why Katie Sackhoff was uh, such a popular choice for sort of fan casting, at least. Right, okay. Is because she, like, she has got all the qualities that the, you would want in the modern Carol Danvers, just in, yeah. in the role of Starbuck. I mean, the other names that have been rumoured in the past have been, like, Emily Blunt and uh, there was uh, Ruth Wilson as well. Yeah, Emily Blunt is the only one I know out of those two, but I, for me, that was much less of a, an obvious piece of casting. Like, obviously, you know, there's always something that they see that that puts, you know, associates them with those roles, and it's like, you wouldn't have said Heath Ledger for the Joker, but, but that worked, so... For a Marvel movie specifically, I would say the one quality any leading person needs is good comic timing. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that like every Marvel character needs in some quantity. Okay, um, let's move on now. Um, we've got a couple more tidbits of news from Captain America Civil War. I'm sure these will keep dripping through. Um, both of these come from a um, Elizabeth Olsen interview. Um, she was talking about the movie and mentioned that Daniel Bruhl's Baron Zemo will in fact be the main villain. 
But um, what Elizabeth Olsen also mentioned very interestingly, she uh, and this is a direct quote, she said, she's someone who's more powerful than she's able to control. This is about Scarlet Witch. And she ends up going insane because of it. And she's like a wild card. You never know if she's a hero or a villain, and that's a very fun part. Which, I, I don't know whether she's talking about Scarlet Witch going insane in this movie. Um, if she is, that's very interesting. But either way... Um, it sounds like Scarlet Witch is, is going to be losing her mind somewhat in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and I wonder what you guys thought about that, because that comes from the comics, does it not? I'm fairly... It does come from the comics. Come, I mean, House, the House of M storyline. I'm fairly uncomfortable with it in the context of the MCU as it currently stands. Because to begin with, the whole idea of kind of scarlet witch you know kind of going mad and and her powers causing a cataclysmic event as a result is a is a not very pleasant implementation of a of a particularly not very pleasant trope which is you know hysterical insane woman type Mm. story and for that to then be folded into the mcu when they've only just established their second major female heroine to immediately go down that route with her just feels to me to be spectacularly ill-judged. It's like, you know, we've waited so long for another character that isn't Black <laughs> Widow. Yeah. And it's like, already by her second movie, she might be turning into an insane villain. And it's just such an easy fallback for Scarlet Witch. And it's just... I mean, back from immediately from the moment they first said that Scarlet Witch was going to be in the Marvel movies, I was kind of rolling my eyes because I thought, well, they're going to do that storyline with her then, aren't they? Mm. And... You know, if they do eventually get to that story, can we maybe have it like at least after they've brought Captain Marvel in? I know we've had Gamora in Guardians, but you know, aside from get you know get get Wasp along as another member of those those new Avengers, uh, get Captain Marvel in there. So establish that there are you know different types of good female characters as your heroes, and then maybe you can turn one of them crazy. But but for for the second one to go through that story that early. I don't know. Just I don't know. Am I, am I kind of am I being oversensitive to this, or does it strike anyone else as a bit uncomfortable? I like it's definitely it's not what I'd do. Like in fairness to what Elizabeth Olsen said, I get the feeling she's talking more about her process than the storylines that are in Civil War. Um, I would hope it doesn't bleed. It. Like obviously, as an ex-villain there's always going to be some level of uncertainty around Scarlet Witch's allegiances, and if they play that up, that's fine. Mm. But, yeah, specifically doing the insanity storyline, it's a popular story with the character, but only because it was... A big crossover event. Sort of a... No, 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 it's more... It was a dramatic rewriting of everything that she had been for sort of 30, 40 years previous. Like, originally... uh, Brian Bendis came onto the Avengers and wanted them to be dismantled, like as a team, so that he could start from scratch. And his solution was Scarlet Witch is insane and she summons all their enemies to destroy them. And from that point on, the only storyline anyone's ever successfully done with her is is Scarlet Witch insane and rewriting reality. And it's like it's it's become lazy and it's essentially wrecked the character. Like some people have tried to pull it back from that. Uh, pull her back from that but it's never it's never really stuck it basically means now that whenever Scarlet Witch is around you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah you know? 
I mean, I, I do think there probably there's probably a way that the Marvel Universe could handle it a bit more delicately. I think you're right that she was a villain to begin with in the comics. And I think what a really cool alternative to making her just flat out insane and turning evil would be to very clearly point out that she is the most powerful character out of anyone that we've seen. And if she learns to control those powers more and more, she has the potential to be the kind of, you know, the, the like, the missing piece to all of this. Like, if she strolled onto either of Iron Man or Captain America's teams, then she would be the most powerful, you know, and would provide a huge advantage. And that if she is kind of, like, torn between two sides of whether to be good or whether to be bad, and if, if that's what she means by being insane, um, more that she kind of is torn between the two sides of things, I think that could be very interesting. Um... Or that that would be the interesting side of using a character like that. It is. It's interesting that you make that point because, as we discussed before the podcast started, she's not on the character poster, is she? She's not on either side of that. She's not on those two lineups of teams yeah. that we've seen. So right? it could be that they, having identified this quality for the character, they sort of you know sideline her fairly early on in that discussion. Yeah, that would. I mean, and 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 then she could be a very interesting. Um, Power broker, almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically thinking of Ahead to Infinity War, you can imagine the Scarlet Witch playing a major part in the fight against someone like Thanos, just yes. because she, yeah, because she's the only person we've seen who's got that kind of Infinity Gem level ability in her own right. Okay, um, and to move on to our final piece of news, then, um, and this doesn't really need much discussion more than it just does need to be pointed out. Um, we got our first trailer and release date for Jessica Jones on Netflix. That's going to be on Netflix on November 20th, uh, which is very exciting. And the trailer looked pretty cool and looked like it could be maybe part of what the opening credits might be. And also has an image that's very similar um, to Daredevil. So kind of makes a nice little thematic link there. Um you guys as excited as I am? I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't glean anything from the trailer, but it did just make me go, yay! And it just <laughs> it just drove home again just how crazy it is that there's going to be a TV series. The thing, of, I, of the thing I quite liked about the trailer is that it was uh, it looked like David Mack covers. Yeah, yeah. It did like that's that what feel. it reminded yeah. me of. And it and it, um, it, it just looked it, it felt like it had the right tone. And it's very difficult to say that about something that yeah. looks like a title sequence, but it looked like. It looked like something that would be befitting of an alias adaptation. This is this is just one of those things where the source material and the character are so good that it's got to be really difficult to yeah, screw it up. Yeah, it's not like, like it's not like Daredevil where you've got sort of <laughs> yeah. thirty years worth of comics that aren't very good, and then Frank yeah. Miller's, and then nothing, and then Bendisists. If you're basing it on those Bendis stories specifically, they're they're so good that you know it it, it should be a bit of a no brainer. And I've I, never been as worried about this show as I have been during this last fifteen seconds of you talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm still not a hundred percent sold on Kristen Ritter, and it's nothing against her as an actress because I know she's very good. I just she is not what I would have pictured for Jessica. She's got an edge about her that I think will you know is is right but i there's yeah i don't know what it is there's just something she she's not the type of personality that yeah, i've had like in my head nothing, for jessica nothing i've seen of like shots of the character and stuff don't make me think oh that's recognizably jessica jones 
Like yeah. it could, but, it could be a version of Jessica Jones. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, it's, you can't. So far, you can't really criticize. There's very little you can criticize in the way of casting in the MCU. You know, above all, it's the thing that they usually get right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, uh, that brings us to the end of our movie news section. Uh, we'll move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of The Incredible Hulk. But before we dive in, let's listen to a trailer for the movie. I've got a problem. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. See a shrink. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Bruce, trust me when I tell you, I've heard them all. Not this one. We've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure. That you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. What was that? There's only one thing that can fight that. It's in me. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Okay, so that was a taste of Louis Leterrier's The Incredible Hulk. Uh, this was a movie released in 2008, was the second movie um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and you can tell because Tony Stark shows up at the end. <laughs> and I thought, before we dig into the movie as a whole, guys, I thought we could probably talk about some of the casting of this movie. And... Um, because I know you both have strong feelings about that, and I think that can probably go some way to kind of sum up how we feel generally about the film before we d- dive into some of the specifics of the plot. Is is there any particular actors that you like or don't like, or it, do you think the movie does generally well by or badly by casting up its Marvel characters? Because I think we, we generally agree that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does a very good job at casting. Yeah, and generally it does. And notably, this is a film that had its lead actor recast when Hulk was being brought back into the Yeah, equation. I mean, like, this is, of all the Marvel films, this is the one where you can probably go, a lot of the casting in this was a bit off. Um, I remember when Ed Norton was announced as Bruce Banner, thinking, like, that is basically the perfect choice. Yeah. And then, well, yeah, because, like, Bruce Banner is sort of, he's a, a slim, nerdy guy who has this kind of undercurrent of rage and specifically Ed Norton in Fight Club. Like, he's got form in those roles and so when it was announced, I was like, well, that's the perfect Bruce Banner. It looks like him and he can act like him, but then in the actual film, he like he just seems like he's bored the whole time. Yeah, I was gonna say, he just seems like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Doesn't he? And he's it's a like, very I think... meditative character. Like, he's mm. very... It, uh, not to me where he's switched off, but that he seems very laid back for a guy who is the Hulk. Yeah, mm. 
like although Mark Ruffalo is so laid back, he's horizontal. It's, but yeah, but it's they make weird. a feature. No, Mark, out of Mark that, Ruffalo yeah. has this kind of nervous energy to him, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and, the, and and he has that sense of that sense of being uncomfortable in his own skin. I felt. All yeah, the time. exactly. But, yeah, and w- but we watch Ed Norton very early on in this movie meditate, and it seems it seems like this is a character who, and, and I mean, and this is one of the points of the movie. He's a character who is striving. 24-7 to keep this guy under control and he's trying to do that by staying calm and keeping his emotions in check and so in, in a way I, in a way I think that kind of fits the, the version of the character they're trying to show but I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely successful. Mm. Well the problem is there's no, there's no difference between sort of him uh, like repressing his emotion and not having any emotion <laughs> yeah <laughs> repressing it just means not displaying yeah. it in in this instance it, it it's a weird sort of i think it, it's almost it's quite an interesting reflection on the the marvel universe as a whole because if there's one thing that really characterizes the marvel films is that there are a lot there have been a lot of casting choices that raise eyebrows when you see them written down on paper that have turned out to be absolutely perfect on screen and this and even i would go so far as to say mark ruffalo actually when mark ruffalo was cast i was like really as mark ruffalo as as bruce banner Mm -hmm. i just i couldn't really see it and you know he's he is terrific he's completely nailed that character and ed norton is the complete opposite because as you just said you know on paper that is a spot-on piece of casting that just yeah i don't understand why he's so disinterested in this movie given that he co-wrote it uh, well, it's I, like it really seemed like it was a bit of a, a, a not exactly a passion project but you know yeah that's it, it. I like, don't, he, was like he went all it, in yeah. you know yeah, I, yeah. I, I i'm not sure that he is disinterested i think maybe if that if it, if that's how it comes across then then that's fine but i i I think it's unfair to say that Ed Norton was disinterested in this. Oh no, yeah, no, he comes across disinterested. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, I'm not saying that yeah. he's. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. it's not like I'm, I'm amazed that it just comes wanted off to clarify that. that. Yeah. yeah, he's not Natalie Portman in Thor. <laughs> there are scenes and sequences where I do get the impression of him being more involved. It's really mainly in the first act. I I, I quite engage with the character. Basically, as long as he's in Brazil, I really like that stuff, and I, yeah, I get on I with the, with, with the character. And it's after that that I just lose all interest in him. I yeah. really do. <laughs> and can I ask, I mean, I'm going to have to make a confession here. I have never seen, and probably won't until we do it on the podcast, Ang Lee's Hulk. And I just wonder, how how do you think the... How, how does Norton compare to Eric Banner? Was was Eric Banner well-received in the role? And was this, or was this perceived as kind of an upgrade or a downgrade or just more of the same? I, I just remember Eric Banner being adequate um I, I i i like eric banner generally um there was nothing wrong with him in that film but he didn't really stand out i don't know what you thought james yeah he didn't strike me as like the definitive bruce banner all i remember is that i was sufficiently upset with his performance as bruce banner that when he was announced for the star trek reboot i was upset with that as well okay <laughs> um, um i do i do think that the the 2003 film does I think with the other main characters, I think the 2003 film oh, does better yeah. with the casting. Okay, so let's talk about those. Should we should we start with Thunderbolt Ross, who is played by William Hurt here, as as yeah. he will be in Captain America: Civil War. Um, <laughs> William Hurt is a fine actor. He is one of those, you know, he's one of the this generation's strongest character actors. He is for me so woefully miscast in this and i don't know if it's just that in the previous film it was sam elliott and sam elliott is just 
perfect casting for Thunderbolt. Yeah, I, I don't particularly like Thunderbolt Ross as a character, I but like Sam, I, I love Sam Elliott, and he's he's perfect as Ross. It's I don't know. He just I think the thing is uh, Sam Elliott's version of the character is exactly as you would expect a Sam Elliott character to be, which is that he's you know got a massive white moustache and he's very <laughs> gravelly voiced, and it's like he's you know built out of a block of wood i don't mean in an acting sense i just mean you know he's sort of very stout and resolute and he's very cartoonish but he is kind of that's that is what the character of general ross is like in as, in as much as i've experienced general ross generally it, he's he's a villain but is he like <laughs> oh, yeah. not the he's no, not he's, the main villain or is he the main villain yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't call him a villain so much as a thorn in a side yeah right he, he's the main antagonist yeah, Sam Elliott, I just can't imagine not liking. Whereas I like, <laughs> I like William Hurt in this. That uh, I'm, I'm drawn to him in a way, but I, I do always get the sense that he, he is a, a, a potential massive dick, and um, I like, I, I like that sense of. I, I, I bought him as this character, and I don't have anything to compare him to. But I thought he was, I thought he was very good, and I thought, I thought they did a very good job of turning William Hurt into white-haired, mustachioed Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. The, the moustache has got nothing on, on Sam Elliott's <laughs> That's well, true. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's a given. <laughs> Goes without saying. I think this is a fairly good version of Thunderbolt Ross. Just if, not, the, just if not the, Sam, the best. If, yeah, if the Sam Elliott version didn't exist, I would be saying this was a good, you know, this was about as good yeah, as it got. okay. I just think he, he doesn't really have... I, I think it's that he hasn't got presence... I think he's just, you know, what I tell you, what William Hurt is playing well is a really unpleasant, snivelly general of a character who you do just, you want to see him get punched in the face. I I like the sweaty desperation of him. Yeah, and I think it's just that that's not necessarily what I would expect from General Ross. Oh, it's definitely definitely what I would expect from General Ross. Really? Well, the whole thing about General Ross is... I'll defer to you knowing the character better than me. The whole thing (laughs) about General Ross is that he wants to defeat the Hulk and he can't do it. And basically that is ruining his career that he is tasked with doing this one job and it's a point of personal pride for him. Is it that he wants to defeat it? Because in this movie he, he wants to capture him to use him as a weapon, right? Well, defeat in the broadest possible sense of the word. Like, he wants to better Bruce Banner in whatever way that makes right. sense. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but re-watching this movie, it really... Uh, I mean, I did think that if there was one character from The Incredible Hulk that I would be happy to see brought back for future movies, it was Thunderbolt Ross. I, I didn't... There was no one else that jumped out to me and went... Yeah, I'd be excited to see them again. Or well, I was going yes, to say, it's not going to be Betty, is it? <laughs> no, or, or yes, I think they would fit in with what Marvel are doing now, um, seven, eight years on. I think Thunderbolt Ross feels like he could still have a part in this universe, whereas I was struggling to comprehend how some of the others would fit into it at all now. Yeah. You mean you mean you're not looking forward to um, the leader being the villain in a future? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, I mean Tim Blake Nelson's going to be busy with his Fantastic Four sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I I, I could I, I'm I'm fine with Thunderbolt Ross coming back. Um, but as you alluded to, um, Liv Tyler as Betty. Again, I don't know this character at all, but <laughs> watching it, I just found it so bizarre thinking. So technically, the Mark Ruffalo version of Bruce Banner has this relationship in his past. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so strange, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't comprehend 
watching Mark Ruffalo's <clears throat> Bruce Banner, who has been in a relationship with Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, spending any time on screen with Liv Tyler's Betty Ross. It's just... It, it's bizarre, and Liv Tyler's not great in this movie, I would say. I think she has... Well, sorry, it's not not she has, but that her and Ed Norton share little to no chemistry, and yeah. the worst scenes are when they're on screen together. The best moment for her is when she's screaming at that taxi driver. Yeah, like, it's like it's she funny and there's energy yeah. and like sudden yeah, like suddenly there's something there, and then in the rest of the film she's like a kind of simpering oh, on the God. like constantly on the verge of crying. It would seem. And it's like, is she putting on that voice? Because I'm sure Liv Tyler doesn't usually have that soppy a voice yeah. in everything else I've seen her in. I like Liv Tyler, but by God, she's, yeah. she's irritating. She's fallen a lot, quite far since Empire Records. <laughs> it is becoming quite... I mean, like, if, if anyone ever tried to claim, oh, no, blockbusters or superhero movies don't have a problem with female characters, it seems like it's something we have to discuss every week. Like... <laughs> this movie, this movie does a bad job with that female character, or or this movie has trouble giving that female character anything to do. And I think it, you know it would be it would be false to say it's never anything to do with the actress because I think Liv Tyler doesn't deliver a particularly great performance here. But also, she's got nothing. She's got nothing to play with, and she's yeah. got nothing to do. And it is a very obvious trend just on the random films that we select to do on this podcast. It's a problem. It's a real problem. <laughs> I, it needs if, fixing if, soon. If, yeah, so th- that relationship is is weak. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it more later on. But, I mean, what what would make a better Betty? It's a good question, that. Is she a good like, character on the page? Is she is she interesting there? Some, she... version, some versions of her are good. Like, it, it, as a female character created in the 60s there is a certain amount of damsel in distress to her mm. uh the thing like the the primary thing you need is chemistry with the person playing bruce banner okay because like the idea is she's the thing that can pull him back from being the hulk in mm. terms of how that character is defined like you know they they try and establish different versions of her where she's a scientist or you know she's um, in the military or whatever and it's always the only thing that matters is how she relates to that character mm. to Bruce Banner well what you're basically saying is the key thing that this film needs is what it lacks or the, the, what the key thing that this character needs the movie has none of which is yeah, but chemistry like, between Betty and Bruce yeah but the thing about Betty as a character is that she has to be strong enough to stand up to the Hulk and look him in the eye when everyone else is scared of him yeah. and like no no version right. of her on screen has been able to do that Okay. convincingly and it seems like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is done with her in the same yeah, way that because... I presume they will eventually be done with Jane Foster because it's found a character who does do that yes <laughs> yeah, but it's they're... not her <laughs> one of my favourite things about Age of Ultron was that they had that little in-joke of calling the Hulkbuster arm of Veronica because that implied that somewhere out there Betty was still around and like as much <laughs> as I dislike Liv Tyler's version of this character I would like to see her back because I think it's an important relationship for Bruce Banner that they've kind of kicked to the curb a bit but what what <laughs> What I think is, re- is is interesting, though, is that, like I said, watching this movie and thinking about this character who... This is Bruce Banner, who is the same Bruce Banner who eventually shows up in The Avengers and The Avengers Age of Ultron, played by Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo is playing the same character. So all the experiences in this movie happen to him. 
and there are there are like a few like flags where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember Bruce has talked about that since. I remember him <laughs> referencing that. Or oh yeah, oh, oh okay, so he's yeah, he's going off to his little shack in India, and that's where or, or wherever he goes, wherever that we find him at the start of um, at the start of the Avengers, and and but it just seemed insane to me. I was like, at the end of this movie, by the time he's left Betty, they haven't particularly parted on bad terms. Other no, than in fact, they're actively communicating with each other. Yeah, mm. he's taken himself out of the equation for everyone else's safety because he knows, like, he's been searching for a cure throughout this whole movie. He hasn't managed to find one, uh, or he's or he's found pretty definitively that a cure will not work. So he takes himself out of the situation and then goes and leaves. But presumably in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there is a Betty Ross out there who is watching her TV screens, seeing <laughs> the Hulk on TV going... Oh, that's that guy I'm in love with. He looks yeah. awfully close with that redhead. What's going on there? I wonder Why? if he's going to call. <laughs> but he... like you can you can sort of assume like maybe there. I wonder if there's a comic that fills in that gap. Like there's clearly an untold story there of how they broke up finally. But but yeah. also it's one of the things that for me distances this Norton version of the character from Ruffalo's because every so often I was reminded that they were the same character. But I think Joss Whedon, in in so many ways, got Hulk right in a way that this movie doesn't, and and found a way for that character to work really well in the Avengers. That the character doesn't feel quite right, uh, and, and and there is even the very last scene of this movie, which is kind of the, this grinning Ed Norton with green in his eyes, showing that <laughs> he's gained some control over the Hulk, or that he is at least embracing the, the fact that that character is a part of him, in a way feels in check with a character who goes, that's the thing, I'm always angry, but in a way also doesn't feel in check at all with a character who, at the start of The Avengers, has spent, again, a huge amount of time trying not to be the Hulk just like he had at the start of this movie. It is weird the way Avengers kind of resets him, doesn't it? That whole thing of being somewhere hidden away where no one can find him, living in a small town in kind of impoverished conditions. Yeah. It's like... This is it's, the start I mean, of The Incredible Hulk again. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I know, as you say, you know they have referenced kind of things that happen, but essentially the, the way that you find him in Avengers acts like the whole of the incredible hulk never happened i think it it kind of it has it has its cake and eats it it kind of it's like okay it acknowledges that these events have happened and makes some reference to some of them but also seems quite happy to go but they also didn't matter don't worry about it the thing is it's worth pointing out that this was so early in the sort of development process for avengers like this was before there was an avengers script by some years and it's like I remember them talking about the ending of the film in the sense of if we do a sequel, maybe he's got some control. If not, maybe he's the villain in Avengers, which would have been if they'd based the film on the Ultimates comics, that would have been the story. Yeah, that was heavily rumoured for quite some time. Yeah, the Avengers fighting the Hulk. Yeah. And even that that last scene with Tony Stark, they had to do a one-shot to explain... Why? Why it didn't make? Why any that sense. didn't make any sense? Yeah, <laughs> because by the time they got to their third Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Iron Man Two, that entire movie contradicted the post-credits scene at the end of The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it doesn't really help that they go such a different way with the look of the Hulk as well. Like it, one you of say the it problem- doesn't help. It also really helps. 
really, really <laughs> <Well>. helps. <laughs> oh no, I mean, sorry, no, it doesn't help their attempts to. Yeah. It doesn't help their attempts to make you think it's the same character. Mm. It helps with our attempts to completely forget it. I remember being sat in the sorry, sorry. I remember being sat in the screen for uh, the Avengers, or maybe like my second or third watch of that films in cinemas, because guys, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but um, I remember being sat, and there was a girl in front of me who leaned out to her boyfriend and said. Like we, we were like an hour in. Is that supposed to be the Incredible Hulk? And I was like, "What? How does she not? Okay, no, I guess that would know. What? Yeah, why would she know that? <laughs> even if she'd, even if she'd watched the previous movie, she probably wouldn't mm-hmm. mean any the wiser. Because you just get a lot of subtle hints <laughs> in yeah. that movie. It just, it just helps that when I walked into it, I knew. Oh yeah, that's Mark Ruffalo. He's playing the Incredible mm. Hulk in this film. But it's a bit like just, the, it's one of those things that you sort of you assume a certain level of knowledge and then the film doesn't necessarily give it to you. So sort of when, when I say about the look of the character, I think sort of because again it's something that I think is one of the biggest missteps this film makes. The Hulk just looks wrong. <laughs> and I, and I read a bit about they talked about the choices they made for kind of how he would look in terms of how he was built and they kind of wanted him to look kind of more sort of, you know, sinewy and and ripped and stuff. Yeah, everything but it's then I you hate. look at how <laughs> Yeah, and if you look at how he was done in the Avengers, where you know he's just kind of he's just chunkier, and you know that that to me how 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 the Ruffalo version looks when he's the Hulk is for me what the Hulk should look like. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know this looks like he was drawn by like Rob Liefeld <laughs> or something. I mean, I, I'll be honest. Rewatching this movie, I've always been fairly adamant that this is the worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and. It still may well be, but I actually did find a lot more to like about it revisiting it. For, for the first time since cinemas, I think. I've never rewatched every other Marvel movie, even for The Dark World, but not but not this. Um, and I did like a lot more about it, but what for me absolutely kills it is the CG involved in the design of the Hulk and the Abomination. Mm. And both of those CG characters, for me, are so terribly designed. And for me, it's yeah. crucial... One of the best reasons, one of the reasons why Mark Ruffalo's Hulk works so much is that he looks like Mark Ruffalo yes. as a Hulk. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. This Hulk could be anything, and it doesn't help that like they shy away from showing the actual transformation so many times. It's mm. very rare that you see. I think apart from when he's on the table when he's been experimented on by um, Tim Blake Nelson. That's that's one of the only moments where I think you actually see some transformation happening, and I just find it so hard to buy Ed Norton as the Incredible Hulk because they, and, and he doesn't have Ed Norton's voice, and I know it's nice to to give it to Lou Ferrigno as as a little nod, but not having him have Ed Norton's voice feels like a massive misstep because you, you, there's just no link there. Well, is it not Ferrigno for um, Ruffalo as well? It is, yeah, it is. I think I think probably the key is it's the combination mm. of those two things. I mean, because Hulk's not that much of a vocal character, but I, I certainly found that to be a particular problem with the Abomination as well. Which, when he started talking, I was like, Oof. "Oh, he's not got a Cockney accent anymore. That's weird." <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know whether Tim Roth did that as well or did the voice for the Abomination, but it comes out sounding nothing like Emil Blonsky. Um, well, to be fair, his accent's all over the place in that film because they have the thing of like he's being played by Tim Roth, um, but they have a character whose name is Emil Blonsky. So it's yeah. like, oh, classic yeah, British like he... name like Emil Blonsky. <laughs> he, so was he was born he was, in he was Russia, born... but brought up in London. 
Yeah. Aye, aye, governor. And that's why he, that's why he's got a mostly Cockney accent, but just with a hint of non-Cockney. No. I thought Tim Roth was usually meant to be quite good at accents as well. But <laughs> what? Well, so I, think, I guess that's probably the final character we need to hit is Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky slash the Abomination. Um, is he a key Hulk villain on the page? Because he comes off feeling like real second or third tier here. In the comics, he's a prominent villain. He's also basically unrecognisable in this film. I actually, you know, up until the point where he properly becomes the Abomination, I I like him. I think he's one of the better things about the film. Oh, I like Tim Roth. Uh, I like Tim Roth. Because I, I do, I like the idea of... Okay, if you bear in mind that the Hulk... Um, not originally, but as as in this film and as it was in the Ultimates, you know, the Hulk is essentially the result of attempts to replicate the Captain America yes. program and to to develop a super soldier. So I like the idea of someone who sees himself as pretty much the ultimate soldier, looking at the Hulk and going, "I want a bit of that because this was a project to create a perfect soldier. I want you to do it to me." I I, I like that as a character thing and I, I, I just like how much of a shit he is <laughs> and it, but it, it, it works yeah, yeah. I, I have no problem actually with Blonsky it's more it's more when the abomination when he transforms yeah. oh, into no, the abomination all, it, I'm like it all goes this, to absolute crap is this the abomination <laughs> or an abomination because it, for me it could be either <laughs> horrendous yeah uh, I find him as Blonsky just really one note and tedious. I don't think he's any more one note than 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 Crossbones. <laughs> well, quite, but he's like a shit version of Crossbones. <laughs> just to just to contrast, uh, Crossbones, uh, Brock Rumlow from Captain America Two. Like you get the sense that he is genuinely jealous of Captain America for being a super soldier, whereas. Emil Blonsky like sees this insane monster and goes, "Oh, I'd like to be like that." And it's yeah. like, "Well, good, because that's how you end up." But it's not a it's not a human reaction. So from that <laughs> that point, he just ceases to work as a character. No, but I don't think he wants to be like the Hulk. He wants to be what the Hulk was supposed to be. He know he finds out what the Hulk was supposed to be, yeah. and his immediate yeah, reaction is, like, "I'll try it on me." Having seen the Hulk, like, why would you want that? It just it doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. like a relatable. Thing. I suppose you, yeah. The, the natural reaction wouldn't be it would definitely work on me. <laughs> yeah, I think my my anything I like about Emil Blonsky is Tim Roth, and anything I don't really is in the writing. I don't think, <laughs> and I find him yeah. particularly interesting character, but I think Tim Roth is an interesting actor, and I, I you know, I, I don't mind spending time with him, and I don't mind seeing him and William Hurt sharing scenes, for example if it's cutting from Ed Norton and Liv Tyler sharing scenes. Yeah, Not see, that I don't like those actors, just that I think that Tim Roth interacts with people pretty well in this movie. I'm much more interested in William Hurt's sort of Captain Ahab routine. Like, that's, you know, that that for me is the more interesting and believable villain. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that as well. I think William Hurt's um, Thunderbolt Ross... Um, is the more interesting villain in this film. And that's why I kind of asked you whether he is normally a villain, because they kind of half-ass it at the end, where it's like, oh, we'll d- we'll just forget that all that stuff is going on because Tim Roth has become the abomination, and now we have to sort that out instead. Yeah. Okay, shall we, uh, shall we, shall we start to move into some of the actual... <laughs> shall we talk about the, the film? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and in fact, before we actually talk about the film as is... The, the film, actually, on the DVD, there is an alternate opening scene. And I, I think alternate is probably um, maybe even a little unfair, because 
I, I get the impression that if it had have made it into the movie, it would have made it in as like a pre-title sequence before we get the yeah. whole, the whole like flashback montage. Mm-hmm. So if I I'll kind of run you through this very basically, it is essentially a story that Mark Ruffalo's um, Bruce Banner tells in tells in the Avengers, which um, and this is on the DVD for the Incredible Hulk. You can watch it if you got the DVD. It is Bruce Banner taking himself off into some kind of like Arctic snowy region. He takes out a gun, puts it to his mouth, goes to pull the trigger, and at that moment his eyes turn green. He transforms into the Hulk. The Hulk smashes the gun and then runs away through the Arctic, smashing up the Arctic. And there was going to be a cool little Easter egg in there that if you, like, freeze-framed it at just the right moment, you could see Captain America's shield in the ice as well, which is pretty cool. But that's just completely excised from the movie. Um, And I think it makes for a great scene in The Avengers when Bruce Banner gets to tell that story about trying to pull the trigger and the Hulk stopping him because he's the one who's in control. But I think why that's really cool in The Avengers is because it's a really interesting character beat for, for that guy, knowing, that, feeling that he's not in control at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling that this this thing always has the pr- propensity to take over if it wants to. And I really wish they'd left it at that on the start of the movie. I think it's it's not only is it a fun scene and a cool scene, but it, it's, it's really great character work. Yeah, it does, like, that relationship between Hulk and Banner does inform the character in the comics, like, the idea that they're sharing a body and don't particularly like each other and one plays off the other. Like, in the movie, in this movie, the rest of the film plays it as a purely biological thing. Like, they have a lot of stuff with the heart rate monitor. Yeah. Him saying, I can't get to this point, otherwise I become the Hulk. And I've always been a bigger fan of the kind of psychological take, which is that they are the same person. uh, They are two different people in the same body, essentially. Mm. The more Jekyll and Hyde way of looking at it. Yeah. So, like, I can see why they left it out of the film, because it it confuses that relationship. But at the same time, I think it's probably better than anything they left in. The thing is, as well, losing it means that it takes a long time before the Hulk first turns up. And it's like, I don't always have a problem with superhero films where it takes a long time for the title character to appear in costume because I love the first Superman movie, I love the first Spider-Man movie you know, we've discussed both of those but in this case, this film badly needs the Hulk to turn up as much as I like the stuff in Brazil, it does need the Hulk to turn up I think I think that might be the does. reason why they got rid of the opening sequence was to withhold Hulk for a bit longer <laughs> I, I, well it was a bad call it might be. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it probably was but I think it was a bad call yeah, no, um, totally agree um yeah, I, I mean, I like the stuff in Brazil. Um, I, I just think it, it's where Norton seems the it's where Norton's banner seems the most interesting because he's got the you know the whole thing with the blood and just his kind of desperation um, over that you know and sort of you get the sense of him kind of living on the edge, living this life where he's just trying to get by, and he has this. Se- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, that, that could collapse from under him at any moment if someone discovers who he yeah, is. Again, I think would be um, hammered home by that, that opening scene as well, though. That I think that opening scene <laughs> yeah. would, would, would work really well with all the Brazil stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Because you would see what the, yeah, you would see what you know what it was that he was at risk of, kind of thing, and it's, yeah, it's it's just a shame that that side of it's like from the moment he first transforms into the Hulk in the film, what we lose is the only interesting character beat that I think he has in the film, which is I'm trying not to transform into the Hulk and wreck my life. It's like he transforms into the Hulk and wrecks that life, and from then on, it's just it just spends the rest of the film running away mm-hmm. basically that's the, like it's like it's a nearly two hour film about somebody just running there's away there's that quite nice moment isn't there where he sees the woman being sort of set upon by the guy in the factory and he tries mm. to walk away because he yeah. doesn't want to wreck what he's got and then he comes back and he has to try and do it without transforming and you know like mm. that that stuff feels like it's it matters and then from that point on you don't care if he transforms or not. In fact, just sitting there going, "Oh, please do transform because it will be yeah. less boring." <laughs> well, I mean that yeah. that points out like one of my main problems with the film after he leaves Rio, um, and because basically his goal from that point on, he needs to recover this information so he can go to Tim Blake Nelson <laughs> with this information to potentially formulate a cure, so he's not going to be the Hulk anymore. And for me, that doesn't work for two reasons. It's for like two crucial reasons like one as an audience member we don't want to watch the hulk not be the hulk anymore (laughs) yes like there's a reason we're watching an incredible hulk movie and not a movie about a scientist like (laughs) it would be like iron man spending the whole iron man movie trying to throw away his suit it would not it would not be an exciting watch and second of all we know that there is no fucking way that at the end of this movie that Bruce Banner is not going to be the Hulk, and the movie knows that as well because after he has the like the the, the treatment from Tim Blake Nelson, the movie not for one second does it make us think, oh, what if, what if um, Bruce Banner can't say it's the Hulk anymore? Like, the movie knows that he's going to turn into the Hulk again, and we know he's going to turn into the Hulk again. So the whole journey to him getting this cure is dramatically inert. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so like the whole they... thrust of the movie is, A, not achievable, and B, not interesting. So you just have to try and find, like, pleasure in the small moments. Yeah, I think they probably should have made the sort of narrative thread rely more on something like him coming to accept the Hulk, which is it's kind of something that happens, but it's not what's driving the story. I mean, basically, I think the the, the interesting stuff that they could have done is stuff that Joss Whedon figured out later on. Yeah. Um, in terms of the internal conflicts of this character, 
But it is there, and it is there early on. And the fact that this movie cut a scene which Joss Whedon thought was so great, he constructed a monologue for Mark Ruffalo around it is crazy to me. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's things like in Avengers, when he transforms for the first time, there are people around who you care about who might get hurt if it happens. So then you're on board with the idea that him transforming is bad. Yes. Whereas in this... Every time he transforms, he's being attacked by someone or going to fight someone who you want to see beaten up. So you're you're dramatically at odds with what he wants and what. Yes, every he time wants. in the movie that the Hulk shows up in this film, you want him to turn up. Yeah, even though Bruce Banner doesn't for two of the three times. So well, instead of that open that alternate opening that I mentioned, instead of that, we get a flashback montage, which is. Essentially a blueprint for the new Spider-Man movie, right, guys? <laughs> that's, that's what they're going to do in the new Spider-Man. It's going to be some title sequence, maybe animated or something, showing like him being bitten by a spider and just outlining what some of his key character relationships are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they did that is because there was a Hulk movie just a couple of years earlier. <laughs> that's yes. that's, what, yeah. that's why we get that, right? Origin. It's five years I think it's 2003 to 2008 yeah. it is nice to see a film recognise the fact that just because it's a new version we don't have yeah. to spend an hour and a it's half smart. on their origin I do think what might have been slightly confusing about it I remember at the time when it came out uh, being less plugged in not entirely sure whether it wanted to be a sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk or not well it's uh, I'm pretty sure that at the time they were more they they said a bit more that it was sort of a sequel well, like and a i think the idea sequel. of yeah sequel. and i think part of the idea of that opening is sort of to refresh you but also to highlight like a few little differences yes. in in how it plays out but yeah i maybe since the mcu has developed obviously they've moved away from that but i'm sure when this first came out what they were basically saying was well obviously it's not a direct sequel but essentially if you watched the first one you can sort of assume that it's the same character yeah it, it'll be um, interesting to go back and watch the hulk and see if it like if it actively contradicts anything from this film mm. because in a way that could make Ang Lee's Hulk, the kind of original MCU star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you like that opening sequence? That I thought I thought it was just really efficient and n- nice. I quite I quite liked the the visuals. In fact, it reminded me a lot of um, the first Spider Man movie. The whole Hulk transforming for me al- always reminds me of um, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin experimenting on himself for the first time it seems it seems like a slightly similar trope and in both cases you're kind of creating a villain except maybe the the human being at the center of those two characters is is fundamentally different but this this movie a number of times reminded me of the Raimi Spider-Man that maybe that was the template that Louis Leterrier was looking at it definitely I'm not sure about the Raimi Spider-Man film specifically it, like I do get a sense that this is the last of the pre MCU era films. Like it, it has a lot about it that doesn't fit in with the tone and approach that Marvel and everyone who tries to copy Marvel would later come up with. You you can tell it was being made at the same time as Iron Man because it feels like it predates. Iron yeah, exactly. Man, definitely. Yeah, it, it it feels kind of totally incongruent with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's lots of there are little in-jokes here and there are little, like, subtle pieces of humour, but it's almost like that if this film ever makes a joke, it's kind of like, 
oh hey there was a little joke just back there that mm. you might you might have missed it it, it just doesn't emphasize any of the laughs it's like oh here's I, 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 I don't know I, I kind of felt the jokes actually stood out just because of how few of them there were and when when you get a joke it's it happens in such a way that it's kind of like you know in, in the Marvel Universe when you get a kind of a light hearted gag moment um, it, it just feels like something that those films do in Incredible Hulk you get similar moments and the film acts like there's something that the film does, but because the film doesn't usually do them, <laughs> um, they stand out by their incongruity. Ta- it's like stuff like the taxi moment, and there's you know, the, and the you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry joke <laughs> and stuff. There are a couple of good jokes in there, but they're not consistent with the rest of the tone of the film. I tell you, the thing that that stands out for me is. The scene where uh, Betty buys him those purple trousers and they're all like, ha ha, come on, why would I wear these? Uh, and it's yeah. like, it's the last moment of a film going like, you know, uh, ha ha, comics, lol. Yeah. Like, that used to happen a lot. Yes, it did. In, it did in the early noughties. A lot. Like, yeah, it even was back the films to X-Men. Apologizing for the source yeah, even back to X-Men, like, ha ha, you prefer yellow spandex. If the script writers have any sense, the next X-Men film, which has them in, like, stupid costumes will be will make a joke of ha ha would you prefer black leather because it's as ridiculous now as it seemed to people then <laughs> my my favorite one actually uh, it, it's a very subtle one and it's so dumb but it actually really made me laugh was ed norton opening up his computer and pausing to close down norton antivirus oh yeah i caught that i hadn't i had never caught that one before but i caught that this it's time. so that dumb nice but it's so funny in how dumb it is because the movie really does make a point of it because I'm assuming Norton Antivirus hadn't paid big bucks to get their product (laughs) featured in this Um, movie it was just someone had gone hey wouldn't that be funny because you know the actor that's playing the character his name is Ed Norton (laughs) there are a surprising amount of in-jokes in this film as well though like so many references like there, are, I guarantee there are references to this film in this film to previous Hulk incarnations that like most people missed. Down to the point of like, there's a shot of Bill Bixby very early on in yeah on a TV yeah. screen. Oh, like that? there's um, but yeah, the guy who plays Stanley in the pizza place, I'm pretty sure was Bruce. He was a character in in one of the old Hulk cartoons. Wow. Like they layer this stuff in so yeah. much of it. One of the other interesting things about this, and you kind of, you talk about the, the pacing of the movie and how it feels like there is a long time before we get to Hulk. Yeah, I watched the deleted scenes on the DVD of which there are 42 minutes. Yeah, there are a lot of a, deleted scenes. That's just the ones that make it onto the DVD. And I think admittedly there is probably a couple of scenes that are extended, but still like, it's still like 35, 40 minutes, even, even with that. And that's a lot to cut from the movie, and a lot of that is Rio stuff. Like, uh, it mm-hmm. seemed like they were making a very kind of like slow, contemplative movie in Rio. Like, and everything was getting more explanation. Like, there's a scene where he's going up the mountain to like find those flowers, and yeah, he's, the- <laughs> he's, you see him going out and buying all the equipment. Yeah, the the flower thread in particular is a massive plot line in the deleted scenes, and then in the movie, it's like one one scene yeah and I, it, it suggests to me that this movie got probably pretty comprehensively retooled um, to, to lose that opening and then maybe they were like we, we need this opening to show the Hulk because then we're going to spend a long time without him and then they went oh well, we'll, we'll lose the opening now but we'll also have to lose like 15-20 minutes of the other stuff that you're going on with I mean yeah. and then later on there's a load of Ty Burrell stuff that gets cut out because you spend a load of time kind of having this awkward <laughs> love triangle with 
<laughs> Betty and the dad from Modern Family. But yeah, so it seems like they, they they lost quite a bit from this movie and completely changed the pacing, and, and therefore I think the emphasis somewhat because. I think basically what we lose is a lot of quiet and introspective Bruce Banner scenes. Yeah, like quite famously, Ed Norton threw his toys out the pram because they uh, re-edited it without his input, didn't they? Mm. Like, he, did he even refuse to promote the film? Am I right in remembering that? Yeah, I, I did watch one feature out on the DVD and, like, Louis Leterrier is there and Kevin Feige and... Um, not much like there's not much Ed Norton considering how much input he had yeah but basically they they edited the film to such a degree that he pretty much why he wasn't in the rest of the Marvel Universe was because he was like well if you're gonna cut the film to ribbons while I'm there I'm not gonna do it well thank goodness the MCU doesn't do that you know superhero movies don't do that anymore it's it's completely changed in the (laughs) years since (laughs) can I ask you guys about the heart rate stuff in the opening so I mean I know you, you you mentioned it briefly James but is that ever is that ever a concept in the comics? What's the actual mechanic of Bruce becoming the Hulk? All I knew before this film was the you know Hulk. The Bruce Banner gets angry, he becomes the Hulk, which seems like a, a pretty clear metaphor. Whereas Bruce Banner's heart rate hits two hundred and he turns into the Hulk. Yeah, doesn't okay. seem like much of anything. I mean, I'll give you a potted history of the character here, but basically, there have been so many incarnations of the Hulk. That, like the classic version is Bruce Banner gets angry and that triggers this change. So you know you don't want him to get angry. That's you know that's fair enough. Like some some places might say it's adrenaline that triggers the change uh heart rate specifically i'm not sure it feels like something which would have turned up in the comics but i can't think of an exact moment when it did originally he changed to the hulk at night real jekyll and hyde stuff then yeah yeah some like sometimes he just changes because he wants to sometimes there are kind of weird sequences in his head where different versions of the hulk are fighting to see which one gets dominance like there are loads of versions of of how okay. he so it's pretty fair for this movie to just have a take. That's that's yeah, exactly. Like they it, they've picked it's a, a version. One, well, I just didn't find it very interesting. You can kind of see the appeal of like this beeping representing you know the incoming danger, but uh, you know it's not a very interesting device relative relative to to what you can do to, with their character anyway. Yeah, well, then they do those that weird thing of, like, he can't have sex with Betty because it will get his pulse rate up and that will trigger the change, and that's that doesn't feel like an honest thing. Like, it, it just confuses what he's trying to stop. Because, like, if, if heart rate was his ultimate concern, why is he spending half the film sprinting? I don't know. It, yeah. just, it just didn't, you know, it doesn't really work for me. I quite like it as a sort of a nice, easy visual device to sort of show you know, how close he's getting. Yeah, but uh. at the same time, maybe he could try acting. Just a thought. <laughs> um, so what, what did you guys think of... So we get to that first action sequence, um, which is when Ross and Blonsky find Banner in Brazil and kind of hunt him down. And we kind of have this chase sequence, which is half Ed Norton on foot and then half him transforming into the Hulk and kind of doing a bit of smashing and running away. It seems to me very, like, I was thinking, I think the Bourne Ultimatum was out this same summer and it reminded me a bit of <laughs> kind of like the rooftop chases in that film. But and, and then, you know, Casino Royale kind of starts with a lot of that as well. I wonder whether that was 
that was just something that was kind of in vogue then was that kind of free running action through city <laughs> rooftops in the, and in the zeitgeist yeah so we'll so we'll yeah. do one with hulk and it does also kind of tie into the fact that as i say pretty much from that point on the rest of the film is about him running away mm-hmm. so it's so it's kind of appropriate that the first big action scene is that my, my my biggest issue with that scene is is really the aftermath of it which is the fact that it leads blonsky to the incredibly boneheaded like how long does it take blonsky to figure out that banner oh, is the yeah he's like oh this this big creature turned up and we lost banner but yeah, oh you know if that creature's around banner will be around it's like jesus man you're supposed to be like this brilliant soldier presumably you have a tactical mind so you're not an idiot i didn't i didn't mind the action sequence like i it goes on for quite a while but i like i like that whole feeling of the chase through the rooftops and i thought it is it was- probably it's probably the best action sequence. I, I, I just thought it was really, it was really done. And in general, I actually thought that Louis Leterrier's direction. I mean, I don't think this is great, a great film, but it all felt pretty dynamic. I mean, he, like he spends quite a lot of time in Brazil. Like, there's lots of little montages of him putting the stuff together, which I think probably comes as a result of losing so many scenes that, by necessity, we kind of have to like jump from here's this little thing happening and here's that little thing happening and that the, the feels like a real energy to all of the stuff that happens in brazil that it feels like it has forward momentum and i think the same is true of the action scene that it feels for me just felt really kinetic the whole way through i really liked the the kind of the way that leterrier had rigged up his camera and was moving it around it helps that the location's really interesting as well and like just as a from the sort of narrative like from the moment they go into the flat and like drank him and you're like oh what they've got him already and then you know you're wrong-footed mm. as they are about whether he's been caught or not and then up to i would say up to the point where he transforms it's a really good action sequence and once he's transformed they spend a lot of time trying not to show you the hulk and yeah. you're like i paid to see a film called the hulk show me the hulk that also feels like a throwback trope that we don't really seem to see okay, you like you anymore. you haven't seen the Ang Lee version but it happens in that as well right in, in fact again it's been years since I've seen it since I saw it but I seem to recall you don't get a good look at the Hulk until the final action sequence in that film but then uh, so we we then follow Hulk he, he's back on mainland USA and he he's searching for that thing that we've already talked about but it, it kind of leads to that big second action sequence after we spent time with um Bruce and Betty, which are some of the most excruciating scenes in the movie. <laughs> um, but I, I, again, quite like the second action scene. I think what really holds the action scene back, as it does in one in Harlem, is that design of the Hulk, which is so ugly, so, so like, not any way, in any way connected to Ed Norton as Bruce Banner. Um, but... I do like I do like the setting. I like I like that this film has its three action scenes in settings that feel fresh and different. And um, I, I really like the score as well that's playing through it. I think it's this is a really one of one of the better MCU scores. Yeah, and I, and I like I like some of the like the idea of the like sound cannons that are brought in to try and contain Hulk and him ripping up like a sculpture to push them back. And, like even if it's not always successful, it feels. It feels original. It feels unique. It, the, the, these action sequences didn't feel like plug and play from other movies, at the very least. I don't know. I just I generally felt that not a lot really stands out from them. 
Um, <laughs> That's why I find them so difficult to remember. Like you know, it's just like you know, I've, I've seen this film a couple of times now, and you know, watching it again, I quite vividly remembered the stuff in the first act. But what? But pretty much everything from after they leave Brazil onwards felt like it was fresh to me watching it this time. I just had no memory of it from the first time. <laughs> for, for me, it's the action that I do remember. Like I say, I think they do feel like a, a little bit unique in, in the way that, like, what I'd forgotten was all. I'd forgotten Ty Burrell was in this movie at all because those scenes, <laughs> are, those scenes just don't hit home. I'd forgotten how Bruce and Betty's. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten that Bruce takes Betty. Well, that Hulk takes Betty with him after, after the fight on the campus. Um, I, I actually quite like that. All I, of I, the stuff in between. The only stuff that I'd remembered was the action sequences. I was like, oh yeah, when he fights out in the green fields, the campus fight. Because actually, I think I had it in my head that the campus fight, that the campus scene was where he fights the abomination at the end. I'd forgotten the nighttime scene at the end, and I had an image in my head of him fighting on that grass, and that was kind <laughs> yeah. of. And there are bits that I remember that I, I like. I like you know him with with his kind of shield of a big piece of metal and stuff like yeah. that. It's kind of um, yeah. No, you, you're right. That, that that stuff probably does. Most stand of it's out, undermined but, by the um, CG for me. That's the only thing. Like I think Leterrier is doing a decent enough job, um, and I think that the 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 concepts for each of the action scenes are cool. I mean, let's let's flash forward to the one right at the end where Hulk and Abomination fight, which yeah. is. In in the respect that there are these two big CG hulks fighting in a city, is not very interesting. But I like I like the idea of it being in Harlem rather than somewhere that I've seen a million times before. And I like the idea that like I like little touches like Hulk deciding to pick up cars and use them as boxing gloves. I think that's fun, and I think conceptually there's fun stuff there. But what it always comes back to me for that is that final scene is two very, very badly designed CG blobs the, the, fighting. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's t- there's two problems with them really. Firstly, is the fact that they're they're badly designed just in you know in concept, and also, I mean, even though it's you know it's only it's only two thousand and eight, it's only seven years ago, but it does kind of feel like the film can just about get away with supporting one CGI character in action scenes without it being too dodgy. But when there are two of them, it, yeah, it it just can't hold them up. And you only have to, you know, I mean, as I say, it's, it's weird to think of a film released in 2008 and say, oh, you know, the CGI wasn't quite there yet. More recent films have managed to, you know, something like Groot in, in Guardians, you know, Groot is a, a fully CGI character. Well, you've got Groot and Rocket. You've got two fully cgi characters who have so much character and personality say who CGI can share the screen yeah, this is five six years after Gollum. like, it's it's, like it's not, i don't think it's, it's i think this is a particularly bad example of a cg character well yeah it's it, it's badly executed is the thing i think it, what it shows is that you can't just rely on being able to do two cgi characters <laughs> fighting one another because this film doesn't do them very well i mean i'm watching this film going i hate the design of hulk and then the abomination turns up, and I'm going, "Oh my god, that is all time levels of bad. It's horrendous." Does, does he look like that in the comics? Because the no. comics need to do something as well, if that's the case. No, that's like again, the abomination is so unrecognisable from the comics, and definitely the visuals. Pretty much the least interesting thing you can do with the Hulk is have him fight another Hulk. It's like put something against him that's different from. Well, okay, him. this is like my major problem with the final act is that the Hulk wins his fight 
simply by being the stronger of the two. Like, there, it doesn't feel like there's any reason he should have succeeded. Like, there's no character reason that he won that fight that couldn't have applied to Blonsky as well. Like, it should have, what should have happened is they spent the whole film dealing with the idea that, like, Banner doesn't want to control the Hulk, he just wants him gone. And so it feels like in the third act, there would have, the way to stop him being just a CGI punching bag would have been to put a bit more of Ed Norton in there or try and show like that there are thought processes going on that are Bruce Banner's as well as Hulk's. Whereas what you get is they trade blows, Hulk gets a chain and strangles him, the end. Like there's there's no triumph there's no triumphant realisation. There's no nothing twist. to Banner, does he? Like no, yeah. all the abomination, neither yeah, of them Banner mean doesn't anything. know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 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 like you explained already, the, the relationship between Blonsky or the way that Blonsky views Banner and the Hulk is tenuous and weak at best. So, like, that, that doesn't particularly work either. I mean, yes, of course, the action sequence would work a lot better if you were really invested in those two characters and that relationship. But I don't think it even gets that far. It doesn't have that surface level of cool, that final showdown. Yeah, I just think they could have gotten away with bad design and ropey CG if they'd had something something for you to get invested in and they just don't. Like, you're just invested in the idea that the Hulk will win because he's the hero and Blonsky will lose because he's evil. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't doesn't work on that level, so... Can I ask you about, um, going back to earlier in the film, it's actually the moment between those two action scenes where Hulk saves Betty in on, on the campus and takes her off to like this cave. They're mm-hmm. in a cave together, and she seems to be able to get through to him and also almost make him docile. For me, it felt a little bit too easy, and I know I know you kind of explained about like how you know with 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 Betty, that's kind of the key to her character that she has that ability. But again, to go back to Joss Whedon and the way he handles the character, I really like the way that Black Widow is kind of able to do that, but is still she's still terrified, and there is still huge risk involved, and that yes, she can get through to him, but it's not. It's not as simple as just her showing up and suddenly he's docile and will pick her up and look after her if she's hurt. He's still he's still a like he's still a really dangerous thing because he's the Hulk. Whereas this film seemed to like I found it very strange when Betty showed up that he suddenly was just like, Oh, I must protect this woman and I'm gonna take her off to a cave and I'll literally lay down and go to sleep next to her. Yeah, it it just didn't it didn't work for me. I don't know whether See- but Okay, this this is one of my favourite scenes in the film, precisely because it's one of the few that feels like it translates the comics relationship to any extent. Okay. Um, so, like, basically, I disagree with what you said, but I completely understand why you would have that impression. Um, no, but I, I can I can understand liking it, but for me, it just didn't, oh no, yeah, it didn't, yeah, yeah. It didn't like, make sense in the context of this of this film. Oh yeah, I agree with that, but I think it's the one time they get the Hulk as a character even slightly right, and the relationship between him and Betty even slightly right. Like it's the one time they they give the impression of having read a Hulk comic rather than just seen the seventies TV series. I mean, do you want me do you want me to go really deep on why that is even the case? Yeah, yeah, do. Okay, so. <laughs> When Bruce Banner was a child, his father used to beat his mother and and him as well. So the Hulk is... The reason the Hulk is kind of childlike in the comics is because he's the repressed version of Bruce Banner's id that wants to, like, lash out and, and fight. Like, that's the 
part of himself that he had to compartmentalize to the point where it became pathological and getting infect uh, getting the exposure of gamma radiation released that part of him so the reason hulk wants to protect betty is because he couldn't protect his mother like the ang lee film tries to cover that in detail so maybe if you treat this as an extension of that version of the hulk it makes a little bit more sense but I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing that I got from that scene that I recognised, which I enjoyed, which I completely, you know, I agree that in the context of the film, you don't get any of that. It's more like you say that they're kind of losing that first scene and just spending more time kind of having Ed Norton's Bruce Banner and the Hulk feel like very separate entities. It then seems jarring to have a scene where Hulk is acting on some kind of... Um, yeah, on Bruce Banner's repressed emotion, Bruce Banner's. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's that's more a criticism of the rest of the film, surely. Yes, yeah. No, I'm you know, not saying it's that's. Like, it's just I'm not saying the scene is bad. I just found it strange that it didn't really ring true to me. Yeah, but that's the thing that like the rest of the film fails to have you make that connection between the two characters. So it's only jarring that there's a scene that does. Because it's not that the film's not trying to be, it's just that that's the only point at which the film succeeds. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not like they suddenly decide, oh, we're going to have a link between these two characters that we consciously weren't having yeah, before. Like, <laughs> it's that they were failing to do it. The, the only thing the I'd film. say about that film that you can potentially... Cri- about that s- scene, sorry, that you can potentially criticise is that Betty calls him Bruce and traditionally the Hulk doesn't want to acknowledge that he's Bruce Banner so he gets upset if she does that but right okay um well I think we're probably coming towards the end of this discussion now I, I don't is, is, guys is there anything that you feel we haven't touched on that you particularly like or dislike or think is worth worthy of discussion I think I just kind of think maybe a point that's that is worth making is that I don't really enjoy this film a huge amount but it's mainly because I find it quite dull. I think with a few exceptions, such as like particularly the characterisation and performance of, of Betty, I don't think it's a bad film. It's And apart from the CGI, it's not a badly made film, I don't think. It just really struggles to be interesting. <laughs> and it also has a really terrible, terrible instance of... Like, it's almost Sinestro levels of um, trying to set up a villain for I was a about to say, we didn't... In we the didn't, bit with Samuel Yeah, we didn't Stern. talk oh, yes. much about Stearns, did we? Because he spends the whole first half of the film being the sort of Bruce Banner-level benevolent foil, and then in the and then final moment... And he's, and he's... No, but you meet him, and then he's wacky comedic relief. Yeah, and then he turns into a psychopath where he's going, like... He's talking to Blonsky, and he's like, did you see what I turned into? And he was like, yes, it was beautiful. You're like what? Okay. Yeah, yeah they didn't really know. Well, it was it was like suddenly like okay, I just this guy that he was talking to on emails. Whether they just maybe didn't handle the reveal that he was like maybe it needed one definitive like oh shit this guy has nefarious motives. But that that seems kind of yeah it's it's really weirdly handled and then you just see this little droplet of like liquid fall into a wound on his skull his forehead then bubbles and he grins <laughs> yeah have you have you looked up what the leader looks like <laughs> he's just a really Google he's just a really big head haven't. isn't he <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the thing that cracked me up most about that scene the the samuel sin stuff is that he meets him in the street and then he's like mr blue 
And it's like, well, he's dressed entirely in blue, so yeah. <laughs> in a film that stars Tim Roth, so um, nice little Reservoir Dogs <laughs> reference. Um, I, I always, I did, I did wonder watching this back whether I was so down on this film at the time because, like, you're. I think you're right. It's not a bad movie. It's just not a good one. And this movie came out in the same year, same summer that The Dark Knight, Iron Man, and Hellboy <laughs> Two came out, which I think are like yeah. all were all to varying degrees received very well and like you're right this seems like a throwback whereas I think the Dark Knight at the time felt like the future of superhero movies and Iron Man felt like something fresh because it was so much funnier and had this really charismatic lead whereas Hulk just felt I think Hulk felt like another superhero movie I feel yeah. like maybe maybe how Ant-Man felt to some people this year, like, oh, yeah, there's another Marvel film, Marvel doing what they do. I mean, I really like what Marvel do, so I'm really I'm really happy with that. But this was probably coming off the back of years with, like, Fantastic Four movies and kind That's... of, like, just, just not particularly inspiring superhero movies. This then comes on the back of it, but also happens to be next to two or three really well-received ones. Yeah, I mean that's that's the reference point, isn't it? Like another Marvel film in a world that has only seen Iron Man and Daredevil, Elektra, two Fantastic Four films. Yeah, like all you know, it, it was it's that level of quality as opposed to Iron Man, Captain America, Thor level quality. This felt like the, the point is, where I'm... superhero movies were about. Like they're going to run out of superheroes soon. Like Iron Man <laughs> feels like a stretch. It was good, but they're going to run. Out. But they're already doing Hulk again. <laughs> it's funny that in talking about that you've used like the word superhero a few times because I think again it's something that the film it's a, you know the Hulk has kind of in its armory as far as like the public perception goes a, a, a pretty strong tool that it doesn't really play and this film does have the nods because obviously it's got Ferino in it it's got the Bill Bixby reference and it's got the music showing up oh yes sad, sad Hulk walking away me. music it's <laughs> one of my favourite it amazes me that the, the Hulk films have not made more of the fact that you know prior to the Marvel the MCU kicking off one of the most recognisable and popular and well loved interpretations of any comic book character on the screen was the Hulk TV yeah. series and it's weird that they don't go more in the direction of that and actually move away even from it being thought of as like a comic book superhero film. It strikes me that they might have had a bit more success. If I mean, as I say, now it's not a problem because you've got a comic booky Hulk in The Avengers and he's fantastic. But at the time, I feel like they should have gone more down the route of playing it. And I think this film does try to do that because of the whole, you know, him being on the run thing. But... I feel like they should have more pushed it towards people who liked the TV series. And they do it with the title as well, but it's just, it, it feels half-hearted. And it's like, you you know, you, you could have played to that audience a bit more and set it apart from superhero films. But as it is, they're just, they're trying to pull it into the tropes of superhero movie storytelling a, a bit too much to really... I See, I, I don't know, I kind of disagree that, I think they did do that as much as you, they could reasonably be expected to. Like, there are so many nods mm. and references to the 70s uh, TV series in this that it's kind of like they wanted that version of the character to be one that people would come in and recognise. But then they throw him into this comic booky well, story yeah, of him the fighting end, yeah. the big monster villain. Yeah, you know. that, yeah, that's true. I guess it doesn't have the sort of 
Bruce Banner comes into town, helps you out, and then leaves. Yeah, it should have ended with Sad Hulk walking away. I I would like to just give give some props to Louis Leterrier because I I think this movie is I don't think it's fairly well directed. I think it look I think it generally looks pretty good. It's a pretty bright superhero movie for a lot of the time, and like a lot of the locations, are, like I said, are, are memorable. And um, it feels like a movie like you talk about all these references. It feels like a movie that from everyone involved was made with a lot of care and attention and love. But it just didn't. It, it, something about it conceptually, and you know, for whatever other reasons that we've mentioned, it it just doesn't come together. But I don't. I don't think it's for it from a, a result of anyone particularly phoning it in. I mean, just even like, I mean, it's very it's very basic level stuff. But Leterrier peppers his scenes with green items. Like it, it, when Hulk <laughs> isn't on screen, there is just so much green stuff. I was writing down in the first like. I was trying to write down, like, in the first couple of scenes, like, what what everything, all the stuff that was green. And there was, like, all those bottles of liquids in the in the factory in Brazil. The first solution that Banner um, produces is bright green. Like, all of the, the grassy backgrounds in Brazil and then in the campus. The night vision that the... the, the, the um, soldiers turn up with and look at Ed Norton through his green. And that you've got the... Um, it, even Betty's dress, her first dress is green, and there's just yeah. lo- just loads and loads of stuff like that. Um, it just it, I think you know keeping the idea of Hulk in 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 the forefront of your mind because you're seeing all these these lovely bright greens, and then Hulk turns up and he's this horrible dark leafy, <laughs> leafy green that doesn't look good at all. Um, but yeah, I I, I I I was I was impressed by all of that. All I can say about that is that I noticed it. <laughs> So on a final note, is there anything from this movie that you that you would like to see the MCU readdress or or you know, I, come back to? As bad as their chemistry was in this film, I want to see more of Betty and Bruce together because for me that is the that's the core of the Incredible Hulk as a as a concept. I mean, obviously Ed Norton's gone, and there's every chance that Liv Tyler could be good with. Um, with Mark Ruffalo, or would or would you recast that role as well? Because I guess you you could quite. Easily. <laughs> I would screen test Liv Tyler with Mark Ruffalo. I I, I think maybe bring back Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There's no. Oh, that no... would create some great tension with Paul Bettany in the Vision. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no no single actress I can think who I would think there there is a perfect Betty Banner. Oh, Betty Ross, even sorry. But I think that's partly to do with the fact that the character isn't brilliantly defined either in this yeah, film or there, in. Yeah, there are so many interpretations of the character, even down to being Red Hulk, Red She Hulk. Sorry, of which the yeah. less said, the better. But essentially, what we're saying is bring back Betty Bambalam. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, guys, um, do you want to give me your comic book recommendations based on the Incredible Hulk? I kind of struggled with picking a comic to recommend based on this film purely because most of what it draws the character from and his situation are taking from the tv series and the only major villain is the abomination who for a start there aren't many good abomination stories out there and this version is so unlike them that it would seem pointless anyway i want to save the hulk origin stories when we do the next hulk film where they're slightly more relevant. So I've just basically used this as a jumping off point to say, here is a good Hulk, Hulk story that I think you should read. Right, okay. <laughs> um, so it's one you'll probably be familiar with, actually. 
yeah. and only on a basic level. But it is the opening arc of Planet Hulk. Ah, good. I'm, I've, I, I'm glad you have given me an excuse to read this because <laughs> I've heard it's referenced by every bloody internet blogger who yes. has ever talked about what Hulk might be doing in the cinema in the Marvel Cinematic Universe next. <laughs> and I'm like, I really should read that thing. Yeah. So the issues you want to look for in the first for the first arc, it's only about four issues long. Is issues uh, 92, 93, 94, and ninety five. Of Incredible Hulk Volume 2. Okay, where he's sent off into space to a planet. Uh, um, actually, this story begins with him arriving on the other planet. Like, the the four issues that yeah. lead into yeah. him yeah, being shot off from, uh, from Earth are available, but they're not that interesting... Relative, in, yeah, yeah in, their own, in their own right. Like, all you need to know is... Uh, Bruce Banner, Tony Stark, and a couple of other sort of Marvel Universe big brains uh, decide the best way to deal with the Hulk is to shoot him to another planet. And this story, so they trick him into going into a satellite, which fires him off into deep space, basically. Excellent, Seb. What do you have for me? Uh, well, I struggled to come up with a comment to recommend you, but for completely different reasons <laughs> to James. Uh, in my case, it was just that I couldn't recall ever reading many comics starring the Hulk. I've never read Planet Hulk. Um, I've never read any of Peter David's run. I've obviously read the very original first appearance but um, so I'm, I'm going to recommend to you the one Hulk story that I can remember reading <laughs> and enjoying um, and it is Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk. Uh, a six issue mini series published between 2005 and 2009 and you might be wondering about the maths on that one, uh, but that's because uh, the first two issues came out at the end of 2005 and beginning of 2006, and then there was a three-year delay before tell the third why, issue, and the rest came out. Uh, the reason why is that the name of the writer of this might be familiar it's not to Kevin you. Smith. Uh, his no, it's not Kevin Smith, but it's basically for the same reason as Kevin Smith's comics got delayed. It's by Damon Lindelof. Oh, wow. Yes, and so that's the other reason why I recommend it. He was probably very, very busy between 2006 and 2009, (laughs) in fairness to the bloke. Exactly. And it's drawn by um, Lainil Yu, who is one of my absolute favourite current working superhero artists. Um, I think the comic gives you enough of the backstory, but because it does kind of stand alone reasonably well. But basically, so it's in the Ultimate Universe, obviously. And in the Ultimate Universe, um, basically from his first appearance... To the general public, Hulk is kind of on the run and a fugitive and a criminal because in his first appearance, um, which was actually in a weird team-up book, he fights Spider-Man and then it was retconned in that he had basically killed hundreds of people in New York on a big rampage. So even when he's being a hero, in inverted commas, in The Ultimates, the general public knows him as the guy, the the monster who killed hundreds Mm. of people. Um, And eventually in Ultimates 2, which you haven't read any of Ultimates yet, have you? Um, well, okay, this is going to spoil us some of Ultimates 2. Well, no, I, I, I have read about it. Okay, so in Ultimates 2, Bruce Banner, because Bruce Banner's identity gets outed as part of the villain's whole plot against the Ultimates, uh, Bruce Banner gets outed, so he gets put on trial and gets sentenced to death. Um, but he survives the execution, but the general public doesn't know that. So in Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk, Hulk is in hiding, and Wolverine is sent to track him down by Nick Fury. 
and okay. it's a weird series. It, the narrative jumps around <laughs> a fair bit, and it's not helped by the fact that there was a three-year gap between the second and third issues. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and that's about all I'll say about it. It is it is crazy and a lot of fun. So, yeah, I, I've no idea how it stands in the context of Hulk stories in general, but it's a comic with the Hulk in <laughs> that I like. So that's yeah. good enough for me. <laughs> Um, okay, well, we'll move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. And this guy, this week, guys, it's pretty simple. If Marvel ever get around to making a solo Hulk movie, uh, what would you like to see happen in it? Because this would essentially be the sequel to The Incredible Hulk. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what would you like to see your Incredible Hulk sequel be? And, um, Seb, I'll come to you first. Um, I would like to see... Um an incredible hulk movie um that at the beginning um we discover that it's actually a movie about the hulk and black widow and then actually uh, predominantly a black widow movie <laughs> is that i basically don't i don't think they should do another hulk solo movie so i think they should maybe pretend that they're doing a hulk movie but then it's actually a black widow movie really in depressing. disguise it'd be like blue valentine wouldn't it <laughs> green well, valentine i named it for you Seth. <laughs> there you go Scarlett Johansson and Mark Ruffalo star in Green Valentine (laughs) (laughs) basically just you know know, the way Hulk was just left in his plane at the end of of Age of Ultron for the whole film he's just in that plane just just looping around the earth in in a plane Scarlett Johansson watches Um, a screen looking for a dot well, yeah, no. She, well, she's just off having adventures and occasionally, you know, checking in on his plane to see if he's all right. But you know, she's just going off and being cool. Seb's pitched the uh, Black Widow movie, whereas I have pitched Green Valentine. I'm not going to lie; I might be in the lead. Uh, <laughs> James, what have you got for me? Oh, I like my first idea was going to be World War Hulk, but I don't think that really fits the criteria of a solo Hulk film. Because it's basically Hulk versus the Avengers. Unless you do... Well, well it, could, it could still happen. Well, okay. Avengers, want- Avengers 4, we don't we don't see Mark Ruffalo again through our, all of Phase 3, and we're like, what happened there? They forgot about him. <laughs> and he's been in space, and he's turned evil, and he comes back and fights the Avengers in Avengers 4. Nah, I mean, okay, if I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be... not cheat on the concept, it would probably have to be Future Imperfect, which is an incredible Hulk story where he goes or he gets taken to the future and finds out that in the future he has basically given in to his inner bastard and become this kind of evil dictator called the maestro um, and in a kind of post-apocalyptic world the Hulk's evil self is king of the planet and the modern version of the Hulk slash Bruce Banner has to uh, topple him. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> it's a classic. It's a classic Hulk story. It's also drawn by George Perez. <laughs> I, I think from both your pictures there, I, I, I kind of like what both of you are saying. In that, Seb, I kind of agree with you that right now, um, I don't think they should do a Hulk movie. I, I don't think I don't think the Marvel Cinematic Universe needs one when they're using that character so well elsewhere. Um, but while I, I generally like the idea underpinning both of. James is there that there are kind of like villainous hulks in the future um, so maybe maybe what I'm going to do is, is say this week like you, you both win and we're going to do no Hulk movie now but we're going to save James's ideas for like <laughs> 10 15 years time for like Marvel U- Cinematic Universe phase 5 or 6 um, so you, you, you're all winners this week it's a tie Important. So, most importantly I, I think I should get the point in about 10 episodes time 
<laughs> I wasn't expecting even half there, so I'll take that. I mean, secretly, we all know Green Valentine was the winner, but um, mostly just for the name. Uh, <laughs> I just love to see this depressing movie with Hulk and Black Widow. Like we get the happy flashbacks to their good times together that happen between in between Avengers and Age of Ultron, and then we get the depressing kind of like post Age of Ultron stuff where they just meet up and say, "Yeah, but we can't have kids," and you turn into a Hulk, and it's just all depressing, and everyone probably kills themselves. And Bruce Banner plays a ukulele. <laughs> it's going to be very niche for anyone who hasn't seen Blue Valentine, but uh, I like it a lot. <laughs> okay, so um, the pitch is shared this week, the points are shared, um, and that is it for this week. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review um, on iTunes or one of those platforms. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, and send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. And I totally read all of those now, so do send emails. Uh, you can find previous episodes of the podcast at cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, and because this is a Film Divider podcast on filmdivider.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Life has become more complex in the overwhelming sea of information. And life, when organised into species, relies upon genes to be its memory system. So man is an individual only because of his intangible memory. And memory cannot be defined, but it defines mankind. The advent of computers and the subsequent accumulation of incalculable data has given rise to a new system of memory and thought parallel to your own. Humanity has underestimated the consequences of computerization. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Ghost in the Shell. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.